Test one, two, test one, two. Tell me where to go when you're up there. So that's the... That's here. Yeah. That's it here. Okay, okay. This, this other one is outside. Oh, uh, please wait. That's, yeah, too loud. There's something different. Test one, two. It's about time something went wrong with us. Test one, two, test one, two. That looks pretty good in the in the yellow. Test one, two, test one, two. Does that sound about normal? <coughs> test. Testing, testing. Yeah, it sounds all right for now. That's bizarre. Yeah, but at two minutes past three, it's not time to tweak it. Uh, Alan, my uh, highs. Uh, yeah, we'll just leave it. Just leave it. No, I, I don't want it higher. I, it's it's a tinny. Yeah, so we might have to. That is bizarre. <laughs> Nothing's been changed. So here we go. Uh, turn your Bibles to Second Samuel twenty-three. Alan, the level look good on the recording? All right, cool. 23. And uh and Alan, just a little lower in-house. In-house. Yeah, t- uh yeah, that's good. That's good. <coughs> Second Samuel 23, right after 1 Samuel. Second Samuel. <laughs> It's near the beginning. Yeah, in the beginning was Samuel. There you go. <coughs> All right, let's open with prayer. Let's thank God for our time together to hear and study His Word. Be grateful for uh, the uh, content of it and uh, for our learning and humility and reverence. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our great God in heaven, our Father, thank you for our opportunity to hear you, to hear your word, to be drawn closer to you by your truth. We thank you, Father, that you have revealed all things and you, that we need to know so that we can plug into your life that you have graciously given us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we thank you for the wisdom and also the encouragement as well as the discipline that we find in your word, the uh, the, uh, exhortations and commandments that draw us into the life that you have manifested. We are so grateful for that life and may we see and hear and we ask in Christ's name, amen. So as we've been noting uh, over and over in every class now for a couple of weeks is that the Holy Spirit has been given to us to proclaim the person of Christ as Christ describes, uh, described by Christ as the things which the Father has. And that's what he states here in John 16, verses 14 and 15, that the Spirit would be sent to glorify him and that the way that the Spirit would glorify him is that the Spirit would disclose or proclaim, proclaim is a better translation for that word, proclaim the person of Christ to us, 
And then he describes this proclamation as the things of the Father. So he reveals to us there that he, God the Son, and God the Father have the same things because they're both deity, and that those things which belong to the Son are going to be proclaimed to us by the Holy Spirit. So the whole Trinity is involved. And the whole Trinity is involved with us. The one that we worship uh, first and foremost is the Son because he is the mediator. So we come to the Father by the Son. That's why we pray in his name. And uh, the Son is the one that became humanity. So he's the one that we relate to the most. And so as our mediator, uh, as our King, our Lord, our brother, uh, he has orchestrated for us through his work entry into this life. So the life itself is what we're after. Uh, and at least that's what Christianity is after. Uh, the life, it's, uh, it's a way of living, but it's more than that. It is the very life of Jesus Christ. And the way that we partake of it, enjoy it, worship it, is through God the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit, and we have to, again, and we're emphasize it today, as we have been, that the first and foremost, what the Spirit is going to proclaim to us is only in the Word of God. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a particular translation, that it's a particular Bible, uh, the memorization of the words, which would change from translation to translation, is not the issue. The issue is the words, for sure, but the issue is what the words mean. So, the text of Scripture, what are the doctrines, the ideas, the principles, the thoughts, the truths, whatever you want to call them, all together, you know, what do they mean? And the truth of that is what the Spirit is revealing to us. And it has to come from the Word of God. So, the idea and uh, uh, Charismatic Pentecostalism has the the thought that God can reveal to you, God the Holy Spirit can reveal to you things that are not in the Scripture. Depends on what portion of Pentecostals. It's not all of them. Uh, the Quakers used to believe the same thing, and there's other denominations that do too, where they uh, expect God to reveal to them something personal that's outside of the Word of God, and that is never the case. That's from somewhere else, either from yourself or from a, de a demon. What the Spirit is going to reveal is out of the Word. And so that's a great help to us. Right? Because what do I need to know to live this life? It's here. And I must be careful not to add to it, not say, well, you know, I know what the Word of God means and I add to it, or I take, you know, take, uh, scriptures out of context, I... I use uh, what we call proof text where I take one scripture that I think, what, I think I know what it means and then I make it the center of my life and I forget about the rest of the Bible. Uh, you know, it, it's the whole scripture which takes our whole lives to soberly, humbly learn and to learn the thoughts of it. And the only way that we can truly learn it is by God the Holy Spirit. Now, we can get into discussions of, does God the Holy Spirit, you know, do the work first, or do I learn, and then he does the work to make it make sense? You know, I read, and then he interjects, or he interjects and kind of pushes me to read. There's all kinds of ideas about that, and none of which matter, right? What matters is, is that we learn it, and that we know by faith that God the Holy Spirit is going to make it real, if we believe it. Obviously, you have to believe what you're hearing to understand it. Uh, so, now, the Spirit proclaims to us the meaning of the truth of the Word of God. Uh, we hear now, how do we hear it? And that's important because there's quite a few who uh, hear the Word of God, listen to the Word of God, read the Word of God. I, I mean, I don't know how many, but uh, don't live accordingly. Right? So, there are those who know of the Word of God or... Uh, have, you know, they, they hear it every once in a while, and yet they don't live by it. And there's a disconnect there. So uh, the, the, what we see there is that they're, they are not seeing the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word 
Because if you were really seeing him and hearing him, and therefore getting to know him well, you would worship him. This is clear that uh, there's nobody who can see him and hear, I mean literally, you know, truly see him, who doesn't worship him, who doesn't love him uh, to the extent that, you know, is possible from what they know. And so we find that the Spirit is going to work when we're uh, choosing to live godly lives or um, holy lives. And then we run into the same conundrum again. And, and people get kind of mathematical or scientific about this, which I think, you know, I, I used to think along these lines, which I think is quite silly uh, right now, but, you know, doesn't the Holy Spirit make me live holy? Well, if that were true, all Christians would be holy. Uh, all right, so I decide to be holy, and then the Holy Spirit kind of pushes me to be holy. That's closer to the truth, but then again, it would mean that all of us who want to be holy would actually achieve it. And there's a lot of people who want to be holy, who want to be good, and want to overcome, and want to quit this and that habit that's tearing them down, and they can't do it. They have a hard time doing it. And so, you know, experience tells us, as well as the Scripture, that the Spirit doesn't use us like a puppet, nor do we use Him like a washing machine. <laughs> now, what I mean by that is, you you know, you turn the dial, you program the machine, and then you push the button, and, you you know, the, it does the work. So you're kind of hands-off. Once you turn the Spirit on, it's kind of like a light switch. And therefore, the Spirit's kind of, the, the idea is that the Spirit's under our control, that we turn them on and turn them off when we want to. And that's not it either. But see, the, the reason why these things are batted around like a ping pong ball is that there's partial truths to all of them. This, you know, the Spirit does control us, but to what extent? The Spirit does push us to want to learn and know Christ, but to what extent? You know, where do you know I do and then I leave off and let Him do and and. You don't get that in the Scripture. That's why there's so many opinions, because for us to answer that question, we don't find it in the Scripture, so we have to give it our opinion. And many well-meaning people, and I think they're very well-meaning, that they, they give it their best shot. And But it's human reason. And human reason is worthless here. We're talking about eternity, about God. And so... Uh, Outside of the I turn the spirit on and turn them off idea, what I'm speaking about here, and I find this more so as I learn the scripture, that this is what the scripture is talking about as well, uh, because none of us know everything. So, you know, how do we, how do we uh, navigate this? And when you look at your life as a whole, rather than at any given moment. Because, you know, we're all sinners. At any given moment, we could be self-absorbed. Uh, we could be sinning in, in various ways. And we would be uh, grieving the Spirit. And at any given moment, if we were to measure ourselves by that, well, you know, I'd say that I'm, I'm not able to do any of this because I'm a sinner. But the fact that all of us are sinners has not stopped God from using us mightily and blessing our lives. And I mean, you know, Christians who have actually done this. Uh, so what I'm speaking of here is your whole life. Your life as a whole. What characterizes me and you? Um, and not so much what I happen to be thinking or doing at any given moment. Because all of us can fail. And if we characterize ourselves by that failure, whether it lasts a minute or an hour or a whole day, that's not really the sum total of our lives, is it? So I do understand that life is made up of moments and that we're told to live one day at a time. And all of those moments and all of those days add up to our lives. But the characteristic of our lives are not built in one day, nor are they defined in one day. I can have a good day and a hundred bad days. Or I could have a hundred good days and one bad day. So what's my character like? So what I have in mind when anybody may answer the question, am I holy, am I godly, 
is do you know and understand the things of the Son of God? And that, what I mean, in your life as a whole. You know, we ask, do you understand the things of the Son of God? I would say at times I don't, but maybe at all times I don't. Maybe I don't care. Maybe every once in a while I care and I do a little study or I go to church or I listen to Bible studies and go on YouTube and listen to some cool videos. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jazzed about Jesus Christ for about a week. And then I get bored and I go back to my regular life, which is without him, without church, without the word of God. So what's the character of my life? You can say, you should have saw me a couple months ago. I was in love with the Lord. But now, you know, now I don't care. <clears throat> so, for instance, was David a man who knew the Lord and loved the Lord? King David. And anybody who knows even a little bit about King David would say, absolutely yes. <clears throat> but, and we can know this with, very com- with great confidence because God says of David in the book of Acts that David was a man after his own heart who kept all his will. And we find that, you know, if we read certain portions of Samuel, in 2 Samuel, especially chapter 11, which we won't, we won't go there, we're at the end of his life here in chapter 23, that <clears throat> David did some pretty horrible things, uh, t- committing adultery, and um, you know, and the text seems that he forced her. Uh, so some say it was rape, some say it doesn't, but whatever. I mean, the adultery is is bad enough. And then he has her husband murdered, and he's culpable there. And the prophet uh, Nathan comes to him and makes it clear to him that. He's, great. He's culpable. His life was never the same after that, by the way. He suffered for it for the rest of his life. Uh, so, you know, but was David a man after God's heart? We say absolutely he was. And so, you know, that what we find in David was a life that was dedicated to God, though it had some grave failures along the way. Is that con- so some people say, well, you can't say that because that condones failure. Nobody's condoning failure. Nobody's condoning sin. I, I mean, some people are out there, but nobody here. Nobody's condoning sin. It's a reality. I am a very realist uh, that sin happens. Uh, but it doesn't, because it happens in me and you, it is not necessarily the definition of my character. And that is a lifelong pursuit. It's years. Now, and, and it's one of those things where you go, God says, come and see. You know, as I, I love how the Lord says that to the two disciples. One of them is Andrew. We think the other one's John in, in, in the Gospel of John at the very beginning. He says, come and see. Come follow me. And that's what he said to all of them, right? Come follow me. They had no idea what was in store. And it wasn't follow him for a week. It was follow him for the rest of your life, and you have no idea what you're going to see. But it's going to be wonderful if you follow him. For the believer who follows him for a week here, and then not, not at all for months or years, and then a week here, and then not so much, or take a day. We live a day at a time as a believer, a believer who was following him for, I don't know, a half an hour, and then for the rest of his waking moments is in the pursuit of self and sin. But I did my Bible study. But afterwards, you know, or before, you know, life was all about me. The character that you're building, or we, should, we could even say it this way, the things that you're looking at, anybody who lives like that, the things that you're looking at are not the things of God. You're giving lip service to God, just like Israel did. But you're not really pursuing him. And that's what's at, at the cost here. The Holy Spirit, so it's not a works thing. It's the Holy Spirit showing you something. The question is, are you listening? And to listen, you've got to focus on it. And focus on it with this is not just the classroom. Right? It's not just the classroom. It's not just the Bible study. That's, that is an integral and necessary part of it. But the listening is all the time. Or not listening. The seeing and listening is all the time, all your waking moments. Either you're listening and seeing or you're not. And, you know, there's no middle ground here. 
Jesus wonderfully says when they, they accused him of doing the miracles by the power of Satan, he says, look, a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. Uh, Satan's kingdom is divided. Mine is not. And he said, he who gathers with me, you know, you either, you either gather with me or you scatter. That's what he said. Either you gather with me or you scatter. There's no in-between. Uh, and so it's where the devoted, you know, you can't be partially devoted. That's not what the word devoted means. Uh, in the narrative of Scripture in Second, in First Samuel and Second Samuel, we have the uh, wonderful comparison that God gives us in the narrative between the first king of Israel, who is Saul, and the second king of Israel, who is David. Saul did some good things. He had his moments, especially in the beginning. Uh, but uh, if you read through the narrative, it is generally First Samuel you find out that, in general, Saul was mostly concerned with himself. He paid lip service to God. Uh, in general, he was concerned by, with himself. He was concerned with his kingship. We find that he was very concerned with the people adoring him as king. He wanted that mostly. And he was, therefore, more concerned with himself keeping power as king uh, the approbation of the people of Israel than he was about the glory of God. He concerned more for himself than the glory of God, and so he didn't see. And he should have. In fact, the prophet Samuel said to him, the, the, the nation of Israel, the throne, which is, de, you know, the throne would have been come through you, even though he's from the wrong tribe, but of course God knew this beforehand. He, he's from Benjamin, but you know, he, Samuel says to him, the throne would have come through you if you had worshipped God and followed him. Not sinlessness, but that if you had devoted your life to God, your creator, then the one who blessed you, the one who made you king, the one who is the God of Israel, who gave Israel all this land, if you had followed him, then you would have been, your throne would have been forever. But because you did not, it is David's throne that's going to be forever. So notice what David says here. In light of God the Holy Spirit. Now, the, verse 1. Now, these are the last words of David. It's really his last. Out of all the poetry and songs that he wrote, this is the last one. But it's in first person for him. Well, third person, but he's talking about himself. David, the son of Jesse, declares... The man who was raised on high declares. In other words, I was blessed by God and made king. The anointed of, God, of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. Which he truly is a great title for him. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God is the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine and rain. Truly is not my house so with God, for he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured. For all my salvation and all my desire, will he not indeed make it grow? But the worthless, man, the worthless every one of them, will be thrust away like thorns, because they cannot be taken in hand. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron in the shaft of a spear, and they will com be completely burned in fire in their place. And so at the end there, David says, if you're going to touch or be amongst the wicked, make sure you have protection. You know, in his day, it would mean a sword. In our day, it means things like the armor of God, the shield of faith, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. But in back in verse 2, he says, look, the Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was on my tongue. So the Spirit is speaking to David, and what is the Spirit saying? It, it, the Spirit tells David in verse 3 that he should rule with the fear of God. And he did. He ruled by the fear of God. He was not one to uh, lightly take the commandments of God. He, fear of God means, I better do this. 
because it is right. I need to be like this because God has made me like this. And if, I, and if I'm not, I won't please Him. And if I'm not, I'll be disciplined by Him. And therefore, you know, there's this fear. It's not afraid of God, but it is, uh, as in Proverbs it says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know, this fear of God keeps me in the place that I should be. And, and David had that. And so it's a respect of God. Therefore, David could speak the words of God. And the only way David can speak the words of God is if he's hearing the words of God. And he was. David is sure that God will make his desires grow. That's in verse 5. Look at verse 5 again. Truly is not my house so with God. And read verse 3 again because it's so beautiful. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. See, he's listening. He who rules over men righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is as the light of the morning when the sun rises, a morning without clouds, when the tender grass springs out of the earth through sunshine after rain. So he's got the picture here. It's uh, springtime. right? The tender grass springs from the earth. So he's, speaking, he's got a springtime morning where an early morning rain has just happened and now the sun is out and the sky is perfectly clear. And he pictures this you know, pastoral scene. And he says, to the one who rules righteously, for us we would say the one who lives righteously and fears God, that's what our lives look like. A morning sun after the rain. And he says, truly is not my house so with God. He confidently says that my house is like this. For he has made an everlasting covenant with me, ordered in all things and secured. That's God's promises to David. God has hundreds and hundreds of promises to you and to me that are just as secure. And will he, he says, for all my salvation and all my desire, will he not indeed make it grow? My desire will grow. Now, the only way that David's desires are going to grow by the Lord is if his desires are in line with the desires of the Lord. This could not be if David's desires were different than the desires of God. And so what's my point here? There's a, there's a mind, a soul, that is uh, desirous of God, listening to God, desiring truth from God. And for us, we know where this is coming from. It comes directly from the Word of God. And this is what we want more than anything. And why is that so important? is because problems are going to come and issues are going to arise and lusts are going to arise that are going to compete with that desire. And if my desire isn't sufficiently strong, then the Word of God is going to suffocate in my soul. No room to breathe. Because a soul that is clouded with self, with wants, with lusts, how do you hear? And as I said in the beginning, it's not so you heard at Bible class, let's say. And let's say you concentrated for a solid hour and you learned. You learned for 40 minutes, 60 minutes. And then you went out into the world and forgot it. Or didn't really care for it. And then you lived the rest of your waking hours and not hearing at all. Right? So what we learn here, and what we learn if we're reading the Bible or whatever, uh, we're applying and living out there in the world. And, and if we don't do it, now the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's meant to be lived. If we don't live it, we won't understand it. And I say that a lot. I have said that a lot for years. I'll continue to repeat it. It's so important. And therefore, by living it over time, and I mean quite a bit of time, your life, that you will start to see and hear things that you never would have. You know, it's things that you're not going to see and hear in Bible class. You'll see and hear of them in Bible class. But in other words, to, to really see God's love, 
you're going to read about it, hear about it, and its definition in Bible class, but what you're really going to learn of it and see what it is is when you actually love others in your life, out in your life, daily, every day, for years. And so in that journey, there's things you're going to see. There's things that God has planned for you to see like a year from now, five years from now, if you follow him. There's things that God has for you to see. He's excited for you to see them. Right? So when we, when we live the way that he desires us to do, it's clear in the scripture that it says it pleases him. It pleases him. He's excited to show you these things. And yet, if we don't follow him over those years, we can't expect to see them. In fact, we won't see them. And that's what he's getting at. We're warned of it all the time. And that's what we're going to, uh, today, I, my Bible reading today, I was I just, the, the uh, parables that Christ told just sung to me. It's about the same exact thing. So, before I leave this thought, the scripture focuses on our lives in general, on our pattern of life. You read about, even Jesus, we only have 65 days of his life, roughly. 65 out of three years of ministry, almost a thousand days of ministry, more than a thousand. But then out of 30, roughly 33 years of life, we have 65 days. And even in that, we, you know, it's even hard to see in the scripture that this, this event, what is spoken of, it happened at this day, at this particular time. It's almost impossible to make it all, it actually it is impossible to make it all exactly chronological the way that we would like to see it. Like here's day one, here's day 20, here's day 35, 36, 37, then there's another gap. We can't do that. With all four Gospels overlapping, we still can't do it. But what about, say, the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle we know the most about? Can we? When was his bad days? What day was it? What week was it? Because he writes in Romans 7, which he writes about him as he's writing that book. In Romans 7, he writes, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. He said, I find evident in me that the flesh wants to follow the, the, the law of sin and my mind wants to follow the law of God. And he concludes, I'm a wretched man. And that's, that's it. When was that? We haven't a clue. Was it just in the beginning of his ministry? Did it last for a few years? Was it just a month, a bad month? We don't know. Was it all the time? But the other thing we know about Paul is that, and, and with everybody else in the scripture, that as a whole, what the pattern of life was, that they either pursued God or they pursued other things, themselves, the world, sin, and what have you. Usually a great mixture of all three. And, you know, this, this gives us this wonderful... Uh, you know, perspective and how things really should be. What is the character and rule of my life which is determined by what you value and what you love and what you honor? So, if I have behavior patterns that are bothersome and interfering with my spiritual life, it's change, you know, we can work on those patterns, and I'm not saying not do that. There are probably ways that you can help yourself overcome them. But if you don't change the essential foundation of your character, those patterns are likely going to continue. Because there's a certain love for them that you have, and they need to be dethroned. And so Christ has got to take that throne in that area of our lives. So it's what we're pursuing in general, daily. What we truly honor, what we truly love. And when this is true of us, when what we truly love and honor is what the Spirit is saying about Christ to us from the Word of God, and that we truly want to see that and hear that, then the promise is that we'll see and we'll hear. So as uh, we do live moment by moment, but what it is that you love and pursue, for this will determine the character 
of the majority of your moments and will determine whether you really come to know the Lord Jesus Christ or not. In Philippians 3.10, we have that I may know him, Paul says. It's his great desire that I may know him. In Ephesians 4.13, after revealing to us the spiritual gifts, Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So the character of holiness and godliness gives us eyes to see and ears to hear the proclamation of the Spirit, which is the person of Christ. And so this we turn to Christ's parable. He says it's the main parable that is really the basis of all the other parables, which is the parable of the sower. So go to Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 4. So the context of this parable is important. Um, Jesus just prior, if we compare the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we can, we can get a, a, a pretty good feel for the days that surround this time. Uh, he has pointed out to the Pharisees that they're blind. And he has also pointed out to the cities who have rejected him. He's where he says, woe to you, uh, Charism and other cities, where he says, if the miracles that were performed in you were done in Sodom, then Sodom would have remained to this day. And, and he condemns these cities. And he condemns them as being blind. Then, brought to him is a man who's demon-possessed, who's deaf and blind. Now, this is no coincidence. It's prophesied way back in Isaiah that the people would be blind and deaf. That when the Messiah came, they'd have eyes to see but wouldn't see. Jesus quoted this passage in, in multiple times in Isaiah 6. They would have eyes to see, they wouldn't see, they'd have ears to hear, and they wouldn't hear. And lo and behold, a man is brought to him who's demon-possessed, who can't see and can't hear. He casts out the demon. And we assume, it doesn't say, but we can assume that his eyesight and his hearing came back. And then the people said at this time, is this the son of David? Like this miracle, and people have ideas about why this miracle had them say that, but it doesn't matter. That What matters is at this time when he performs this miracle, the people in the crowd say, is this the son of David? Now what they mean by that is this Israel's Messiah. Is this the king, Messiah, that has been promised to us? And when the Pharisees hear this, who have already been accused of being blind, they say that Jesus has performed his miracles by the power of Satan. And that's when Jesus famously says, a kingdom divided itself against itself cannot stand. If Satan is casting out his own demons, his kingdom must fall. But, he said, if someone stronger than him has shown up and bound him, then the kingdom of God is upon you. And Jesus makes this awesome contrast between his kingdom and the devil's kingdom. Now, for us, this kingdom, its king, is ours. Every believer. Every believer is a member of the kingdom. The kingdom's not here on earth. It's not here yet. It will be. But we're members of it for all of eternity. He is our king for all of eternity. He has made us sons and daughters of God. And, you know, this two kingdoms, who sees, who's blind, who's hearing, who's deaf, is really the story of human history. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. I mean, if you read any, uh, any book, History book, I mean, or listen to, or hear. I'm, I've been listening to them on on uh, an audio book. It's it's been pretty cool. But the uh, you know those books of old history, ancient history. I mean, we don't know any. Nobody wrote about peasants. You know, nobody cared. <laughs> nobody wrote about you know the people they wrote about were the kings and the kingdoms, the higher ups. And kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. You know, what's in our Lord's prayer? He told us, your kingdom come. What is that to impress upon our hearts? 
that the kingdom of God is coming. And it's a glorious kingdom. You know, all of us are going to experience a perfect government and a perfect king. We're going to experience it here on earth someday. Certainly not today. And we're in the midst of it. And while we're in the midst of it, there's all kinds of stuff that want to suffocate the Word of God in us. And that Word of this Word of God that wants that the world and the, the devil are trying to suffocate is the one vehicle by which the Spirit is using to show us our Lord. And hence, that's, and that's the purpose of our lives. The purpose of our lives is to see Him and enjoy Him. To live with Him. To walk with Him. That is the whole purpose. It is not about me and it's not about other people either. And amazingly, if my eyes are set right on Him, I'm much closer and much more of a servant and a good person to you. I'm much more of a good husband, a good friend, and a good person when my eyes are on Him. I'm much closer to people when our eyes are on ourselves because of our fallen natures. All we do is eventually clash. And boy, do we clash. So those who see and hear God's kingdom are focused on the good. And of course, I mean this with the Spirit's help. And I, I'm, never, I'm not going to get in. There's no way to know. I, I'm, a, I'm a guy who just sticks right to the text. When does the Spirit plug in? Does he do it the moment I open the Bible? Or is it after I read a few lines? Or maybe it's after I'm done reading. Ah, why do people care about this stuff? I understand why. I mean, people are curious. I get it. But when it comes to God Almighty doing almighty things in you that have no basis in anything we experience. In other words, we're not... We're, and oftentimes people are trying to apply like scientific principles to how God operates inside a human being. I find that hilarious. As if we possibly could. It just works. Let it work. Rejoice in it. Let it work. Don't overanalyze it. Christianity becomes so stale and wooden and boring when people overanalyze it. And you can go too far in the analysis, which is, you know, it's something that we have to learn. Because <laughs> it has to be analyzed. The other pendulum always swings the other way, and people say, I'm not, I don't do any in the Word of God. I just know Jesus loves me. I don't care about the Word of God because of those orthodox fundamentalists who overanalyze it. Well, that's great. Now you don't know any of it. Right? So <clears throat> pick the spot and just you know, trust the Spirit to lead you. If you're curious to know something, look. And if it's not there, say, oh well, God doesn't want me to know it. Or maybe I haven't found it yet and I'll know it later. Now, holiness and godliness, they're both here. Holiness is living right. That's thinking in conduct. I think you throw speech in there, but I like this speech is a part of conduct. Holiness is righteousness. Now, we're all sinners. We don't pull this off all the time. Godliness is devotion. devotion. Why is devotion needed? Because when the little bell and whistle over here is trying to distract me from uh, or to lead me to it, I say, I want to. See, see me? I'm not looking at it. I'm looking at Alan in the back. Oh, I just woke him up. The, I, I, the bell and the whistle over here, I'm not, I'm not looking at it. Right? But I want to. Right? We're all real. We should be realists. There's God, Satan's not going to tempt us in areas that we're strong. It's going to be in places where we are, you know, very tempted to look and get our eyes on the wrong thing. That's why godliness, which is devotion, is so important. Now, we all sin and fail from time to time. We could all do things better. We could think of any good thing or service that we've done in the past. We could have done it better. But we're always growing up spiritually, and that's why we could have done it better. We have in our hearts that we will do it better. And this is about, therefore, not so much our great performance as it is what we love and desire 
and are diligent to do, are diligent to understand what we love, that's what it's about. And if you love it, you'll be after it. And you'll get better. So, notice our Lord. Now, again, the context, which I've been yapping over here, so we've probably lost the context. He's healed a man blind, demon-possessed who's blind and deaf. He's already accused the Pharisees of being blind and deaf. And notice what he says now. As soon as he was, and, sorry, verse 10, Mark 4.10, and as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables. Now notice, they're also getting everything in parables, but they're asking. They're asking about the parables. We find here in Mark that Jesus explained every parable to them in private because they wanted to know. And if we want to know, so that's the, it's so simple, but it's such a poignant message, is that if we want to know, we will know. But notice, those who are given everything in parables, verse 12, in order that while seeing, they may, not, they may see and not perceive. In order that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they should return and be forgiven. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 6. Uh, It almost sounds like God's making them this way. But no, all you have to do is read the whole gospel. They've rejected him. They have no faith in him. They've called him a child of the devil. A servant of the devil, at least. And that's why they don't understand. So he said to them, do you not understand this parable? And how will you understand all the parables? So the question is, with this, the answer is, with this parable, we get to understand the rest. And it's wonderful how we can do that. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where the word was sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which is sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown in the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy. And they, had no, they have no firm root in themselves, and, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And so there's four categories here. That's category number two, the third one. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, and the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, enter in and choke the word. And that word means, the Greek word means, choke is fine, uh, good translation. It also means to suffocate. And it becomes unfruitful. And those, category number four, are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Now, notice that in the last category, they hear... And then they accept it. Right? And what is acceptance? It's faith and, you know, thank you. Now, it, th- these are believers here. This is not a salvation thing. This is what are people like? Who are those who hear? Who are those who hear and see? And the ones who hear and see are the ones who hear and accept it. And so Jesus gives the interpretation. Now, first off, the first, as we just said, the disciples ask him, can you explain the parable, please? Because they didn't understand it either, but he explains it. So, in other words, like they say in Luke 11, as we worked on when we opened up on prayer a bit, that they ask, seek, and knock. They desire it. There's something about truth or living or anything that you want to know, and you don't ask, you don't seek, you don't knock, and, you know, I mean, to say it bluntly, you don't care. You don't care to know. You're too busy or, or uh, you know, occupied with other things. Uh, so we have to, or we should. Now, uh, 
we take them in turn. This will only take us a minute. We're going to run through it fast. In Matthew, Jesus explains that the seed that fell, the seed that fell beside the road, are those that when they heard did not understand. And as he says here, something interesting that um, uh, when they hear immediately in verse 15, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which was sown within them. Matthew adds to us that he said they didn't understand. So while the word is not understood, somehow Satan comes in and snatches it away. And we can imagine multiple ways in which Satan can do that. But while the word remains a mystery, I, I, don't, I don't understand that. And then what does Satan need to do? Just distract us with something else. We're so easily distracted. I mean, just occupy us with something else and say, well, that just sounds dumb. I don't get it. But do you, you know, do you, you see it as the truth of the word of God, that there's something here to get that's actually really important or God wouldn't have written it down? Eh, whatever. It's nonsense. Whatever. Whatever it is, Satan snatches it away. Now, next we have those who have no firm root in themselves, perhaps shallow soil. And why? Well, it says that they hear with joy. They receive it with joy. But because of affliction and persecution, they fall away. And so this is the person who hears. They say, you know, that, that sounds great. But then persecution and affliction comes. In other words, tough times. And if tough times are enough to drive someone away from the Word of God and the life that allows them to hear, then knowing Christ is not a top priority. In other words, I would love to know about Christ if it were easy. And they're not going to hear either. So they hear a little bit. But, right, it takes dedication. It takes to live the life. Yeah, it's, it's not hard. To, to listen to a message. It's not hard to read a little, uh, although you know maybe it is for some, but there's some that aren't dedicated enough to do that. But there are also, you know, after you've heard and read to apply it, to, ex- to accept the word is to live the word, then, you know, that it's going to get tough. There's a competition for your affection. There's competition for your loyalty. And when times are tough, if that drives a person away, and I would say here a believer, then the life that you, this life with Christ is not a top priority. Now next are the ones that are among the thorns. But in this case, it's not persecution, it's worry. Uh, worry and the thought of the world's riches and other things are a source of joy and fulfillment. So he says the desire, and here's the word, it's epithemia. It's one of my vocab words for this last couple of weeks. What chokes the word is the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for the remainder. And this is very interesting. Um, this is, it's another place where we see the word things. We've seen it several times in this study our last couple of weeks that <clears throat> Jesus says that the things of the Father are the same as mine. I, I have the things of the Father. That's the Spirit's going to release to you or show to you. Um, <clears throat> there are the things that are temporal and the things that are eternal, which we'll get back to later on in Second Corinthians. Uh, you know, it, it's where he says, in this world we have momentary light affliction, but that momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory. So he says we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. And when we walk by faith, we see the things. He doesn't give us a list, he just calls it things that are eternal. And here we have a, a cool word that loipos where he says, let's see here, verse 19, and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. And this word, other things, loipost, means the remainder. That's what it means. It means the rest. It's sometimes used for human beings, like all the rest of yous, as we would say in New England. So it means, so we have in here the deceitfulness of riches, but what's, what is um, 
the root of all evil? Is it riches? No. It's the love of riches is the root of all evil. The love of riches is the root of all evil. The love of riches is a really cool word in Greek. It's philo argos. Argos, the name, if I'm saying, saying that right, I'm probably not, but it's the love of silver. It's a compound word, philos, which is love, and argos, which is silver, the love of silver. That's the root of all evil. But then here Jesus says the lust for everything else. So we picture the world, what the world is offering to people that says, yeah, this is fulfillment, this is happiness, this is where you want to be. And it's money. It's always money. But there's also a bunch of other stuff. And that's the rest. The remainder. Whatever it is. Power, sex, entertainment, uh, chemicals, getting high, whatever it is. Pleasure in, in various forms. Hedonism. Um, and it's all the remainder. And Jesus says here, look, these things, and they're all around you. And God said, I didn't come into the world to take them out of the world either. I didn't come here to take them out of the world. I didn't come here as the Jews wanted me to do to drive the Romans out and establish the millennial reign and establish my kingdom on earth. And by the way, when his kingdom is here, all of these, they'll still be here, but it's going to be perfectly run, the whole world. But I didn't come here to take these things away. I came here to give you life so that you can overcome these things while they surround you. And what does he say here? That this suffocates the word. Suffocates it. Now, this image is great. If, as we have seen, the Holy Spirit is revealing the Son of God to us, and He is, that's His main purpose, to reveal the Son of God to us, and He's revealing the Son of God through the Word of God. If we're choking that word, suffocating that word in our souls by the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for the other stuff, how are we to know the Son of God? We can't. Right? It's very simple to follow the dots. It's actually it's not hard. Very, very simple. The Holy Spirit is revealing the Son through the Word. If the Word is suffocating in my soul, how am I supposed to hear that voice? I can't. And so that's the cost. The cost for falling into the being ruled by the flesh, the sin nature, by the world, the riches of the world, and the other one, which is persecution. You know, uh, when things get tough, hearing about the word, you know, learning through living is is not uh, something that I want to do. Then the what your the cost is that you will not see the Son of God in this life. You'll know of Him, sure, and you'll know some of Him, but you won't really know Him. Look, I've been at this for thirty, almost what is it, twenty-two. I'm thirty-one years. I've been pretty much at the scripture, and I, I don't think I'm even close. And it's not—it's not about me. I know that, but <clears throat> it's knowing Him, knowing the scripture, is the step towards that, right? It's this is not about me just knowing passages of the Bible. I need to know them to get me somewhere, and the place that it's getting me is to know Him. And therefore, walk with him, converse with him, live with him. So as he said, you love me, follow my commands, keep my word. I and my father will build our house with you. John 14:23. So we've got the last one here. There's a bit, a little bit more to do in this passage. But the parable of the sower is about hearing and seeing. And the Holy Spirit is to show us Jesus Christ through the Word for us to hear. We've got to be in that last category, the ones who hear the Word of God and accept it. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your Word. Thank you for uh, the blessing of this great parable. We will come to see, Father, that what, why this is the chief of the parables. It's going to lead us to an understanding of the rest.
And we ask, Father, that you reveal to each of us in our hearts where areas are that are hindering us from seeing your Son and therefore seeing you, and to have the courage to change those areas and to overcome them. We know, Father, it will not happen overnight in some cases, but we would strive for such things, and we ask, Father, through your Spirit that we would have clarity, and we ask this in Christ's name, amen.